at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Okay, I'm going to say welcome to the show. All right. Hold on. I'm going to take one more sip of tea. (laughs) That's awful. It's fine as long as I'm, you know, I have two cups ready to go just in case. Okay. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 118. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. To kick things off today, I have a fun email to share from a previous guest. This is from Catherine Reiling, who joined us in episode 103. She says, Hi, Anne. I have started slash finished two books from your recommendations. I started Doris Kearns Goodwin's Wait Till Next Year. It felt so slow to me, and I made it about 60% of the way through before saying, next year, smiley face. I'm on a nonfiction kick right now, so I may pick up Team of Rivals, too. I did read Charlotte Bronte's Wuthering Heights. Thanks for giving me a kick in the pants to finally read it. I don't know why I was always a bit intimidated by Wuthering Heights. It has quite the reputation, I guess. I really liked it for the mood and the setting. So gloomy, so atmospheric. The characters are horrible people, and I really didn't like them, but that's not my hang-up as a reader. If they're realistic and well-developed, it doesn't matter to me if I think they're decent people or not. Great recommendation. I also loved all the recommendations from listeners. Wow. Everyone was so great, and I have a very full TBR list. You can listen to Catherine's episode wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Check out the full list of titles Catherine and I talked about and all those recommendations in the comments at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 103. That's 103. And if you prefer, you can also listen right there on the site. Next. Today's guest, Dina Babb, is definitely a kindred spirit. We were both the girl in class who loved to choose the heftiest books possible from the school reading lists. These days, she reads in a unique setting that calls for reading that's a little lighter. Today, we're talking about the rhythms of a family of readers, nonfiction that transports you into a whole new world, books for self-aware readers, and more. Let's get to it. Dina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. It's great to be here. Oh, well, thanks for coming on. I am really excited to talk to you today. We first connected through the launch team for Reading People, so thank you again for doing that. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. It was an amazing book. I really enjoyed the whole experience of being on the launch team and reading the book and getting um, all those different perspectives on what people got out of the book. That was actually a super fun part of being on that launch team. I'm so glad to hear it. And also, I'm just now realizing... Have we talked about what a launch team is on the podcast before? Because this is something that happens in the book world that I bet a lot of readers don't know about. This was new to me a few years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that you have. I don't remember hearing it. I don't either. Okay. Um, Do do you want to explain it or should I? 
Um, well, I can take a crack at it and you can maybe fill in. So um, being on a launch team is being a part of um, a group. And I've been on three different ones actually now, including yours. Um, but a group of just regular readers, people out in the world who get an early crack at reading the book. And um, people who have blogs or other social media presences can share about the book. Um, it's one of the things I really love. I have a blog and I love being able to read um, the different books and share from the perspective of the view of my blog and what my blog's about, why I like a book and how I think it's valuable out in the world. And that helps then the author kind of get some buzz behind the book. And um, it's like the pre-launch phase. So when it actually is available for publish, it, um, you know, people can get their hands on it immediately because they're, they've heard about it and they're looking for it. You know what, actually, I think it's based on the whole premise that the podcast is, which is readers want to hear from other readers what they liked and why. And that's how we get excited about books to read. And absolutely. Yeah. So they're not unheard of for fiction books, but it's way more common for for, nonfiction. Yeah. To have organized launch team and they're not always done, but they're sometimes done. I've, I've heard that they used to be done more and they're being done less now in 2017, but I don't know if that's one person's opinion or if that is truly a trend, but Mm -hmm. interesting, but we have one for reading people and thank you for being on it. Yeah, it was super fun. Okay. So Dina, obviously you're interested in that because you are a person who reads. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background as a reader. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I've been reading uh, really as long as I can remember. Um, I always loved books. I can remember being the kid who in kindergarten, like confounded my teacher because I already knew how to read, which is so weird to say now, because if I had sent my kids to school in kindergarten, not knowing how to read, I would have felt like behind the curve and like a horrible (laughs) parent. Um, But that was normal back then, right? Um, I can just remember confounding her um, because she didn't know what to do with me during that period of time when she was supposed to be, you know, teaching like the very rudimentary of reading. What did Um, she do with you? I, I don't remember. I can remember sometimes, you know, you know, I could just go sit on the rug and look at that book. Or if they were working like through like a workbook or something, I can remember being like, you know, several pages ahead of where everybody else was. Um, so I think she kind of just was like, like left me to my own devices. Like it was probably just easier to be like, okay, you're good. I'm going to deal with these kids. <laughs> so you got to read. I got to read. I did. I got to read a lot. Um, and then I just, I've always, I've always, I've always read. I love reading. Um, I never, um, you know, all through school would read whatever we were supposed to be reading, but then was always reading something else as well. Um, you know, I was the girl in high school who as a freshman chose War and Peace is my, <laughs> like, you know, like, choose a book to be reading over the semester. And that's what I chose to, to read and lug around with me. Oh, I'm laughing um, with you, not at you because <laughs> I know I, cause yeah, you get it. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Les Mis was mine and I insisted oh, oh, on see, the yeah. unabridged mm-hmm. and really yeah, Les Mis was another one of mine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> I didn't like it as much as the musical when I was 13 <laughs> and I haven't read it since. Oh, see, I don't reread a lot, but that's what Les Mis is when I've reread probably four times. Really? Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is my opinion as 30-something will be different from my opinion as an eighth grader? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's not shocking I mean, to me. it should be, right? <laughs> oh, oh, it definitely, definitely <laughs> should be. So what did you think of it when you read it back then? 
I loved it back then. War and Peace. I did. Yeah, War and Peace also loved it back then. Okay. I know I have not reread War and Peace. I was actually thinking recently that I maybe should try to pick it up and read it again. Um, but I remember really enjoying it. Um, and uh, yeah, and Les Mis, love, love, loved Les Mis enough to, like I said, I, I'm not a huge rereader, but um, that is one I definitely have. What brings you back to it? Um, I there's the the in that specific case, like the the breadth of characters. Um, you know, and there's, there's a redemption story, which is always a good thing in multiple places in Les Mis, there's a redemption story, but there's, I, I love stories that have, you know, just huge arcs of characters and there's so much in there. And I feel like every time I go back and read it, I find out a little bit more about a different character and probably, you know, rereading it at different points in life. It's your, I resonate a little bit more with a certain storyline or with a certain character based on life experience that I didn't have when I was, you know, 14 or 20 mm-hmm. or whenever it was that I read it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just one I can always, I, I feel like I always find something new in it when I go back to it. And what about now? What does your reading life look like? What what compels you to read as an adult? So I, you know, as any working parent, I think I would like to have time to read more. Um, I do a lot of my reading, um, sitting, um, you know, waiting for kids, whether it be in a rehearsal or um, I have a son who um, has uh, level one um, autism spectrum mm-hmm. disorder. And uh, so I spend a lot of time in waiting rooms while he's in therapy appointments. Um, so I read a lot there. Um, so I read in lots of kind of fits and starts and little bursts. And some nights I will have the energy to, you know, feel like I can keep my eyes open long enough to actually sit and read. Um, but there are more nights lately where I had my husband be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I need to just zone out and watch like whatever on TV because I'm so tired. I can't even think I can't read. I can't do anything. Um, so it's mostly that kind of stuff. Um, if we're on vacation, um, if it's a, you know, kind of relaxing vacation, I can go through five books in a week. Um, you know, we go camping for a week every summer and I can go like I load my Kindle up and can read, you know, five to six books over the course of that week because there's so much just downtime. Um, and that's you know, part of the relaxation for me. Yes. I'd love to go back to those waiting rooms. So is there a certain kind of book that you find lends itself to being read in fits and spurts? Or have you just learned how to do it? I think I've just learned how to do it. There are some that I definitely can't. Like if if a novel is overly emotional, I can't do it sitting in a waiting room. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if a nonfiction is, um, you know, terribly dense, I can't do that sitting in a waiting room, but most things I've learned to just, you know, be able to pick up and put down. And I also tend to be reading two or three things at a time. Um, so, which again, I think it's just that thing of being able to pick things up and put them down and come back to it is just a skill I've learned over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's only a couple things that I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do it in the disruptive part of a, a waiting room or a rehearsal or wherever it is I'm sitting. Yes. Okay. How much do you say you read, Dina? This isn't like a, uh, this isn't a competitive sport or anything, but, <laughs> but give us a feeling for the flow of your reading life throughout a week or a month. Um, it's really sporadic. Like I can go, sometimes I will be reading the same one or two things for say like 
you know, six weeks, eight weeks. Uh Um, And then there will be, um, you know, where I'm like, I finished a a book a week or a book every three or four days. Um, It just, it depends on, I think, on what it is, what I'm reading. You know, some things are just much faster reads, Um, how much time I have, the energy I have. There's nothing terribly consistent about it. Um, you know, there even are times where I won't pick something up to read for a couple weeks at a time, um, just because life, you know, and, uh, it just, I'll be, it, it's not there. Like as much as I want it to be on like toward the top of my list, sometimes it's like, it, I just can't get it there. So are you scrolling through Instagram or are you sleeping and are you happy with the, I mean, are you okay <laughs> with this or is this something you want to be different? No, yeah, no, it's, um, it, it, sometimes I might be scrolling through Instagram. Um, it's very rarely sleeping. Um, it, sometimes it's just, you know, life just being so busy that by the time I get to the end of the day, mm-hmm. I am just fried. Um, and as much as I like in my heart, like really want to pick up whatever it is I've been reading, like in my head and my body is just like, I, I can't right now. <laughs> like right now it really is just time to like watch another episode or two of whatever we're watching on Netflix and call it a day. I totally get it. <laughs> That's not where I am right now, but it is definitely where I was about two months ago. Like, you know, I got a whole bunch of books to read, but let's watch Parks and Rec. Totally. Yeah. That was value neutral. I was just curious. Yeah. Dina, how old are your kids? So my son is 12 and he's in sixth grade, which is middle school here. And my daughter is 10. She's almost 11. She's in fifth grade. Dina, is reading something you do on your own or is it something that you, that lives in the rhythms of your family life? Um, it, it definitely, it, it, it sort, I'm going to say definitely, it sort of lives in the rhythms of our family life. Um, you know, we've always read to our kids right from the beginning. My son was a very early and precocious and voracious reader. Um, it's actually is so funny. For the longest time, he just reminded me of my husband, who was an engineer. So he was very technical minded. Um, and there was a lot about our, our son that reminded me of him. And all of a sudden, he became this early reader. Like he taught himself to read when he was three. He basically taught himself to read when he was three and uh, hasn't put a book down since. So he's a huge voracious reader. Um, Our daughter actually is dyslexic. So I think she would like to be a bigger reader than she is, but it is just an exhausting struggle for her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have started actually in the last year uh, going back and doing read alouds with her of books that I loved when I was like nine, 10, 11 years old. So we did um, Anna of Green Gables, and we started Anne of Avonlea. Um, I'm actually thinking about doing Little Women with her this winter because that feels like a kind of cozy winter read to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I actually still have um, Little Women, the um, big, beautiful, hardcover version that I received as a Christmas present when I was maybe nine or ten years old. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so I'm actually really looking forward to, to pulling that out and uh-huh. You're doing that as a read aloud with her because she loves stories. She yeah. just the the actual act of reading um, is exhausting for her. So try to get the good stuff in there for her um, without her having to do the work. <laughs> you said you were thinking about Little Women. Yeah. Are you? So what does that balance look like in your mind? Um, about about why why I would or wouldn't. Yeah. 
Um, no, I think we probably will. I just the um something. Oh, I know what it was. So a book that I just finished recently was The Other Alcott by um, Elise Hooper. And as I was rereading it, I was not rereading as I was reading it. I was like, oh, I should reread Little Women. Oh, we should do that this this winter. I should mm-hmm. do that together. Um, so that's actually what it was is as I was reading that new novel, um, it made me think about little women all over again. What did you think of the other Alcott? I've seen it. I'm curious. I I liked it. It was really interesting. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, so you, an an author like um, Alcott, who you, you think, you know, just because because of her book, basically. Do you think you know her because, I mean, predominantly because of Little Women, but because of everything else she wrote? And I didn't, like, go in thinking I had this, like, huge idea of who she was as a person. Um, But seeing her painted through the eyes of her sister, uh, who, you know, was the main character in the novel, um, made me kind of go, oh, well, I never thought that she was, you know... a a whole person like you all of a sudden she became this whole person to me um and it was actually was really it was a good read it was really interesting okay because i am a sucker for a good retelling or reinterpretation but and i mean it just isn't that i mean it talks mm -hmm. about little women a little bit and Mm -hmm. it you know, it kind of references that the the sisters were loosely based on the Alcott sisters and um, how that caused some friction among the sisters um, in some ways. But it really is more about May um, and who she was and how she kind of reconciled being quote, the other Alcott sister mm-hmm. with also, you know, being her own person and coming into her own. Um, so it was, it was really more about her with like a sideline of the other stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so it wasn't a retelling so much as just like a nice like reference point. How about modern takes on classics I love intrigue me, intrigue me, whether that's on the the people themselves, like more biographical fiction yeah. or whether it's tinkering with the stories. But my track record in actually being glad I devoted the hours of my reading life to reading them is not as good as I would like it to be. Right. Okay. Because they can be disappointing. Uh, Yes. I think part of that is they're just disappointing. But part of that is also the expectations, which are kind of hard to tamp down when you're talking about, you know, a book that you have. Beloved classic. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Do you have complicated feelings about introducing your daughter to Little Women? Is there any fear there that you are... Um, that you're concerned she might not take to it the way that you did as a kid? Um, maybe a little, um, you know, cause she, so she loved Anna Green Gables. Um, it's been slower going with Anna of Avonlea. We've picked it up and put it down a couple times because she's just not quite as into it. Oh, and then I showed her, I got the DVDs of the, um, uh, original miniseries, which is just like an all time favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, this is boring. She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, the book was really good. <laughs> well, at least there's that. <laughs> Tell me about when you realized that reading was a struggle for her. So it was really interesting. Like I said, my son basically taught himself to read at three. 
Um, and she, it's not that she never couldn't read, it came slower, but it seemed more, you know, kind of, of a norm. But when she got to kindergarten, we were like, she's not, it's not that she's behind. It just feels like something's not quite right. And she had the same kindergarten teacher as my son, who was like, you know, you just can't compare them. They're just different kids. It's not fair to her. You just can't compare them. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. Which is the same thing we then heard in first grade and in second grade. And we're like, really, something's going on. And it was really, um, the, you know, we kept saying, they're like, she's, she's at grade level. Look, she tests, she tests, you know, above, above grade level. And so we kind of just kept saying, okay. And then it was actually, we were on a family vacation. I want to say this, it was the summer before her fourth grade year. And she was trying to read a placard um, at, we were, I don't know, at a museum, we were someplace, and she was trying to read a placard. And she just kept saying, I can't, I can't read these words because the way they look is confusing my eyes. She said, I know that they are words, but I can't, I can't make it work. It's confusing my eyes is what she kept saying. And then all of a sudden, it was like a big red flag in my head. And I was like, you know what? No, like this isn't, something's not right here. Um, so it was then that we really started, you know, pushing strongly and hardly to get some testing done and figured out, you know, that she, she actually is dyslexic. And the reason that she's, you know, it, quote, you kind of been able to hide it all these years is because she's really super smart and developed all these like coping strategies on her own. So if she reads, uh, you know, if, if she and another child read the same sentence, she's maybe only actually reading instead of every word, she's reading maybe every two words or every three words as they actually appear on the page and then filling in the blanks just based on what she knows and is able to still get, you know, 90% or better of the comprehension of what she read, but using these coping skills as opposed to actually reading the words on the page. Dina, so you've been a reader from birth might be exaggerating a little, but not by much. How has it changed your reading life to have a daughter for whom reading is not a delight or an escape, but a real source of frustration? Um, it's definitely, I think, made me more, I, I, I don't know, empathetic. Um, you know, I know and I, my husband has always joked with me um, that, you know, nobody should be able to read at the speed that I read. Um, but I'm <laughs> what, like, but what speed it, do you read at? It's like really fast, apparently, according to him. He's like, how are you done with that already? I do. I read fast. I'm a fast reader. What does fast um, mean? To, I mean, give us some idea of what you're talking about. We go on a week's camping trip. And, um, you know, it's not that we're just sitting around doing nothing for the week. We're out swimming and fishing and hiking. Um, but when I'm just kind of hanging out in the campsite, laying in the hammock or sitting in a chair or sitting with my feet in the river, um, you know, I can read four to five books in seven days, which probably average, you know, between like probably nothing, you know, smaller than 200 pages up to, you know, three, 350, 400 pages. Um, I, I can get through that in a week when I'm like, you know, had the time to devote and sit and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so that's your baseline. Right. So with her, you know, she can, 
she can read fast, but we know when she does read fast, she's missing words and mm-hmm. therefore having to make these big guesses. So we've had to make a big point of slowing down. Um, so when I do read aloud with her now, um, you know, I'm making sure she's she's sitting with me and she's looking at the page as much as she can. And I'm reading much, much slower. You know, you do read slower when you read out loud anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have intentionally slowed my pace down even more with the hopes that it's helping her to follow along and actually see. So so that, you know, we definitely, that has been a huge thing. And then just also about, you know, trying to, whatever she is interested in reading, making sure that she has access to it. So last year, she would didn't want to look at anything for her kind of free reading time unless it was a graphic novel. So mm-hmm. we were just going out of our way to find really interesting, high quality graphic novels that she could get her head around. Um, this year, lately, she's been um, interested in reading a lot of both nonfiction and fiction books that have to do with horses. So we're just getting our hands on everything we can that has a horse in it. Um, So it's, you know, just really trying to key in on what's interesting her um, just to get her, you know, to have something that she's interested in picking up as opposed to my son who would, you know, picks up like random, you know, whatever he can find, like the back of the cereal box or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the technical magazine my husband Mm -hmm. happens to have sitting around or whatever the case might be. Um, We have to be much more focused with my daughter to uh, make sure that she's getting things that she's interested in so that she's feeling invested in in putting the time in. Dina, how do you decide what to read next for your own reading? So I'm kind of all over the place. I I do do, you know, recommendations, um, Goodreads, Friends. Um, I also, I, I do read almost exclusively on my Kindle these days, just because I can have, you know, multiple things going and have it in my bag and know that it's always there. And whatever I feel like reading is in my bag, as opposed to, you know, carrying one book around and not having to carry two or three around and not having what I want. Um, So, you know, in, in days past, I would, you know, take, spend a lot of time browsing in the bookstore, browsing in the library. Um, So my version of that now is like browsing on Goodreads and browsing on Amazon. (laughs) And, um, you know, sometimes I will sometimes spend like, you know, an hour, two hours just kind of like going down that rabbit hole of like, you know, reading about this book on Amazon and then seeing that, oh, if you like this, you might also like and then clicking through all of those and then going to Goodreads to see what people said about it. And, um, you know, I'll do a lot of that. And um, sometimes, though, I will just you know, see a title and be like, oh, well, that sounds really interesting. Let's just try that out. What changed that took you from the physical realm of libraries and bookstores to online with Goodreads and Amazon? Really, mostly it's just about um, the ease of it, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, I can... I can do Goodreads and Amazon, um, you know, look on my phone, look on my computer. I can carry the Kindle in my bag, um, you know, as opposed to having to, while I still love, love, love a good bookstore and love the library, um, it's the the time factor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can't go to the bookstore library at 11 o'clock at night, but I can pop on Amazon or Goodreads and poke around to find something. And sometimes, oftentimes, that's that's when I have the time to do it. I read once that most Amazon users 
go to the site, find the book they're looking for, buy it, and leave. And I love that you're messing with those statistics. (laughs) See, I'm messing up the algorithm. I love it. Awesome. (laughs) I love it. Okay. All that makes me think of a book I want to tell you about, but I'm going to save it to see if it's actually the right one for you. Dina, I can't wait to hear about your books. Are you ready to get into it? I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. Dina, are you ready? Because I'm I'm ready ready to be surprised. Okay. All right. I'm ready. All right. So the first one is Stir, My Broken Brain and the Meals That Brought Me Home by Jessica, I think it's Vector. Yes, I've seen this, but I haven't read it. Yeah, so this was one of those books where I, I think when I came across it, it was I was poking around on Amazon and went down a rabbit hole um, and and came across this this really like this lovely gem. So it's a memoir um, and I, I love memoirs. I don't love autobiographies that seem kind of very self-promoting to me, um, but I love a memoir that has a really good story behind it. Um, and that's this one. So she was was a grad student who actually wound up um, having a brain aneurysm. And um, as a result of the brain aneurysm, wound up, um, you know, with all these different impairments. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what a lot of them were, but like one of them was, you know, she had, I believe, some kind of diminished vision and obviously like balance issues. Um, I think it was she lost her sense of smell. I don't remember if it was permanently or not. Um, but just, you know, she's this in her late 20s and had this massive thing happen to her and just kind of derail her life. And in part of her kind of like, healing process in terms of not just the physical part of it, but like the emotional and mental part of it was um, something she had always enjoyed doing was cooking and eating a good meal around the table with friends and family. And those things became a huge part of her healing process. And so the book walks through, um, you know, kind of every step along the way of her physical recovery, how she also at the same time you know, was cooking a specific meal that somebody she, you know, knew and loved had cooked before. And so it's also intertwines these recipes and these stories about community and family and hospitality, uh, you know, all along with her healing process. And it's just this really, you know, genuine, honest, but also humorous and warm kind of story. Um, and it was one of those that I, I can remember reading like super fast, um, you know, like in 24 hours maybe over the course of 24 hours. And um, that has just stuck in my head. You know, those books that just kind of come back to you, something will remind so you see or hear or do something and you remind you, oh, that's like in this book. And this has been one of those books for me. Okay. Dina, what's your second book? Okay, so my second one is The Sleepwalker's Guide to Dancing by mm-hmm. Mira Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is kind of, I've, I've, uh, I have another friend who started reading it and was like, 
I couldn't like I, I couldn't get into it. I, and it is one of those that takes a long time to kind of get into. It, it jumps around a lot. It's um, it's it's about a family from India who emigrates to the United States, and it kind of goes back and forth between India and New Mexico, which is where they settle when they come, and Seattle, which is where um, the daughter in the family, who is kind of the main character, um, winds up settling as an adult, and it goes back and forth between those three places and between like sometime in the 1970s all the way through sometime in the 90s, and there's a lot of back and forth, and so it is kind of one of those books where you have to be like, you know, check yourself and be like, okay, wait, what happened here last time? Um, but when, if you can get into it, it's this just really kind of magical story. Um, there's a little bit of a mystery to it. There's a lot of family dynamics. Um, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting and well-rounded characters. There are a couple kind of quirky characters, which I really enjoy in a novel. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it was one of those that I, when I, when I finished it, I was disappointed because I, I wasn't ready for it to end because by the time I got to the end, I was so invested in everything that was going on. And while it was good to have some resolution to this kind of like mystery part of it, that's in the story, I still was like, but I want more, (laughs) but I was really enjoying those people. (laughs) Also, that is not a short book. No, it's really long. I, I, you know, I, again, I read it on Kindle, so I can't, I can't say for sure. I know it was a long one, though. It's five hundred ish pages. Oh, see, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. So if you pick that up, like in the, like the bookstore, or the library, you might be like, oh, um, but, <laughs> but I think it's worth it. It's one of those that's definitely worth it. Do you remember how you came to that one? I, I, I'm going to go again with, it was an Amazon find. <laughs> I think it was, if you liked this, you might like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, because I hadn't talked to anybody who read it before I started reading it. And then I did have this friend who was like, oh, I started that and I just couldn't. Um, and afterwards I was like, no, no, you have to go back. I promise. I promise. It's so good. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I love when we feel strongly enough about a book that we can say that to a reader. Out of our own yeah. personal experience. Yeah. Okay, Dina, round out your list. What's your third? All right, so the third one is The Versions of Us by Laura Barnett. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another one of those kind of multi-decade over long periods of time, um, which as I was actually looking at my my Goodreads um, ratings, I was realizing that's something I'm clearly drawn to because the ones that, a lot of the ones of five and four stars are these like ones that span long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I really enjoy is when I enjoy a story and the characters telling the story and living the story like I want to kind of go on that journey with them for a long time I don't want it to be this little short condensed thing um so the version of us so you know whereas it's the sleepwalkers guide is a kind of about you know family dynamics over that time the versions of us is more about um an intimate relationship dynamics and how um a relate how things that we do today the decisions sometimes seemingly inconsequential decisions we make in any given day could have long-term effects on the rest of our lives. And so this is looks at, you know, what would happen? It's the what if. What would happen in this relationship if this had been different or if that had been different? And looks at how that could look 
how one decision could look make the whole thing look completely different. Um, and that's that's kind of an intriguing idea to me. I really enjoy those 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 what if games. And I don't necessarily do it in my own life, like in terms of like, wow, if I hadn't done that, then this would have happened. Um, but it is pretty interesting, like in a book or in a movie to see that kind of played out. So that I really enjoyed this book for that reason. You have a lot of self-awareness about your reading life, Dina. <laughs> have you always? Um, always? Gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert, so I'm, you know, very much live in my own, my own little head <laughs> as much as I can. Um, so I guess it's a good thing that I have a lot of self-awareness. Um, I don't know if I've always had it, though. I don't know. Okay. Because I would imagine that only does good things for your reading life to be able to know this is what I'm drawn to. Yeah. And it's very, very, very rare that I will to, you know, commit to reading a book and then be like, Oh my gosh, this was a huge mistake. Um, I, it's very rare for me to, to put a book down. Like even if it turns out not to be what I thought it was going to be, I, I can usually find something to hold on to that is like, no, I'm reading this because of this. And like, we can get through this. Um, so maybe, maybe that's that. Maybe, maybe I'm a good picker because of that self-awareness. <laughs> thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's very rare for me to put down a book. I don't love, 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 love every book that I read. Mm -hmm. Um, I can say I enjoy most things I read. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are just a small handful that I'm like, oh no, like I, that, that time, like I could have gotten that time back. <laughs> so it's great to know what you tend to enjoy. Do you feel like you're still willing to try new things? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, okay. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm all over the place with, you know, I don't, there are very few genres that I don't enjoy. Like I don't enjoy like crime novels. Um, that's just not where I am or anything mm -hmm. too kind of bloody and gory. Um, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, just like super nailed down to like any one or one or two genres. Like if something, if it, it looks interesting, appears interesting, sounds interesting, um, you know, I'm definitely willing to go there. Okay. Let's talk about where you haven't been happy to go. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Okay. No. Okay. So, you know, you get me though. Hard one. Yeah. So this was a hard one for me because like I said, you know, usually I'm like, I can find something like that. I picked this book up for a reason. Um, and the one that I chose, I, I think I chose it just because I was, I was just, I was really disappointed that I, I, I couldn't get through it. Like this was one recently that I'm like, I, I can't do this. Like I tried three or four times. I'm like, I just can't do it. Um, and that is anything is possible by Elizabeth Strout. Mm -hmm. Um, which I was so disappointed because I really liked Lucy Barton a lot. Um, and I, so I was excited to read something that, you know, wasn't about her, but referenced her. And, um, you know, I liked the writing in, in Lucy Barton and I just, I don't know what it was, but I just could not get into anything as possible. And I was like, is it the short story thing? And I don't think that's it because I do like short stories. Um, but something I don't, and maybe it was just in the first couple. And maybe if I go back and like pick another random one later in the book, I'll be able to get into it. But the first couple stories in the collection, I was like, I know I'm not feeling it. Um, and so it was just, it was disappointing because it was a book I was looking forward to, 
So then to not be, to be able to feel like I could get into it enough to actually finish it was, was just sad. <laughs> well, and it's a short book too. It's not like the sleepwalkers yeah. guide to dancing where you have 500 yeah. pages to endure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but I just, I just couldn't. So like I said, I mean, maybe if I go back and pick something later in the, you know, later in the book, the, the last story in the book or a middle story in the book, it might be different, mm-hmm. but maybe it was just the first couple. I was like, Oh no, like this is, I, this, I know. <laughs> Talk to me about how you feel about tone in the books you read. Is it important that it be reflective or upbeat or optimistic? Do you mind writing things that are grim um, I don't mind grim. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't like as long as something is like a good, genuine story with good characters and, you know, something there that's going to, you know, draw me in and make me feel invested. I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, joyful. It can be grim. I'm not one for, oh, the book has to end in a nice tidy bow, all happy endings, um, because that's certainly not the way life is. Um, so I'm I'm good with, you know, things that are kind of left untidy or a little bit messy. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, like I said, as long as it's, it intrigues me, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay. Good to know. Because you do like a wide variety of things. So yeah. we got to narrow it down somehow. Yeah. Dina, what are you reading right now? So I just last night actually started Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine mm-hmm. by Gail Honeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, she's a, she's an interesting character, that Eleanor Oliphant. What were you um, expecting? I'm about, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I was, and I don't want to say too much because it kind of, there's, I mean, it happens very early on. Like you, like within the first couple of pages, I was like, Ooh, wow, that's interesting. Um, she, she, she clearly led a difficult and challenging life. I'm only about a third of the way through. Um, but there's been something in every chapter that has kind of peeled another layer off on who Eleanor is and, you know, lets you kind of see why she's made the decisions that she's made. Um, so it's, it's really been fun in that way. Um, it's a quick read. It's witty. It's really cleverly written. Um, so I'm really enjoying that so far. Definitely. Okay. Anything you want to be different in your reading life? Wow. I don't know. I mean, you can't wave the magic wand and give me more time, obviously. Um, And looking back at a lot of what I've read recently, and this kind of going back to that tone question, um, I have read kind of a lot of heavy things lately. Um, So it might be nice to make a switch and kind of get a little bit of joy and light in what I'm reading, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that might be the the big thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, kind of where I am in, in life. If I'm choosing all these kind of darker, heavier things, you know, Eleanor Oliphant is, you know, I think is going to have some of that darker, heavier in it. Um, but it has a little bit of a, a lightness to it as well. Um, so far at least we'll see. So yeah, no, maybe just, maybe, maybe some things that are just joyful and light and, and lovely. <laughs> huh. <laughs> okay. See, I threw you. I mean, that's great. I can, I can see, I can see how you would want that in your reading life to bring some balance. But I'm looking at what we have to work with here, and <laughs> <laughs> so 
Dina. Yes. I'm not sure where we're going to land, but I am up for the challenge. Okay. We'll, we'll find you some books to read. Dina, let's talk about your books. All right. I'm excited. All right. We have already talked about how you have a great deal of awareness about what works for you. You love stories with huge arcs um, that take you interesting, unexpected places. Yeah. Um, like who knew you wanted to know about what it's like to recover from a brain aneurysm with the help of learning to cook and you like a good redemption story. Yeah. I'd love to find you some good redemption stories, but the problem with that is if redemption is needed, something terrible has happened. Something happened. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. It doesn't really work out so well with the arcs with a huge arc. Like you need, it's bad stuff that propels the plots forward. Like this is how fiction works. Yeah. Which was kind of revolutionary when I first realized that as a reader, like, Oh wait, they have to make bad decisions. Bad things have right. to happen or there is right. no story. Exactly. Okay. Let's start with a book that's ultimately redemptive, but it, it does go bad places. Although I don't know how, tr- I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want anything that happens to these characters that happens to you, but on the scale of literary catastrophes, it's not as bad as it could be. Um, we, I don't know if you will love this or if you'll be like, ah, eh, that's too close to home. But I'm thinking of Instructions for Heatwave by Maggie O'Farrell. Have you read anything by her? Do you know anything about this book? I don't think so, no. Okay. Well, here's why I'm thinking of it. This is a story. Uh, you know, it's probably kind of short to be a saga, but it's a family novel. It's probably between 300 and 400 pages. Long enough, but not definitely not epic length territory, but it's the story of an Irish family during an actual British heat wave that took place in 1976. But the rest of the, I mean, it's a novel, it's fictional. And what happens is the family patriarch walks out in a, in a happy marriage. Um, he, an older man, he's just retired. He walks out the door one morning to get a cup of coffee, get the paper, in the town center and he doesn't come back and his wife obviously is distraught. Um, They don't know what's happened to him. And so during the course of the story, they have to find out where he went. And at first they think maybe some ill has befallen him, but then they find out that he took a lot of money out of the bank and this seems to be planned and everyone is surprised. So that sets the larger plot in motion. So when the father disappears, the three dispersed adult siblings come back together to su- support their mom and figure out what is going on. Cause right. some, something has not happened to him. He has chosen to leave, but why? Like they were, they were happy. They understood right. each other. Um, like that morning, the wife had been so grateful that they had the relationship they did. And then he vanishes. So what is up? So, There is a brother and two sisters who were very, very close as children, but who have maybe not fallen apart, but how, yeah, yeah, drifted, who have drifted apart over the years and who each are at their own personal crossroads in their lives and in their relationships. And none of them knows what the other is going through. But what I really like about this for you is, oh, here's the unfortunate part is I don't know how to pronounce this character's name. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. Well, <laughs> you find out at page 100 how to say it, but the when you get inside the voice of the head of this youngest daughter, 
Um, so, but it's an, it's a distinctly Irish name. And what the character says is only her mother in the whole world has ever pronounced her name the way she feels like it's really meant to be pronounced. And Ooh. that makes me feel like, oh, well, it's no wonder I didn't know how to say it then. So, <laughs> but she describes it as being halfway between Eve and Ava, and it's spelled A-O-I-F-E. So when I saw that the first time, I thought, am I supposed to know how to say this name? Or yeah. is this, like I remember reading Ian McEwen not having a clue how to pronounce um, Bryony or reading, Bri- or Briani, depending on which way you want to go, or reading Harry exactly. Potter for the first time in the 90s and being like, who is Harry and Ron's friend here? And how do you say <laughs> what is that, that out name? Loud? How do you say her exactly, name? Yeah, exactly. So now we all know that it's Hermione. But so it's, we're, we're just going to call her Eve in this situation, okay? Even though that's not how Eve's mother would say it. So she's dispersed the furthest. She's living in Manhattan. And so she has very carefully arranged everything in her life to hide the fact that she never learned how to read. So now she's in her 20s. She's a young, semi-professional. She has an important enough job. She's making it in New York, barely. But she doesn't know how to read. And she feels like she's too far in to say, oh, hey, I don't know how to read. And it's doing Ah. terrible things in her job. But her boss, who she adores, doesn't know yet that she's not depositing her checks or that she has important contracts in a file that she will deal with later. But there is no later because she's not doing anything to learn to read. But she describes how as a child in the – so the book is set during 76 and she's in her 20s. So this is probably the 50s in Ireland in Catholic school that at first the nuns are like, oh my gosh, your daughter is so, so, so smart. But then that radically changes and she just starts doing terribly in school and they don't know what to do with her. And they might actually kick her out of school at a certain point and call her, but I do know they call her unteachable. But she describes in her head how the letters just dance on the page and they don't stay still. And she'll, she'll look down and it will say the, but then it'll say these, but then it'll say ether, but then it will say yeah. like that they just keep dancing around. And the descriptions were so interesting to me. And also thinking about what, how horrible that would be to be in the fifties yeah. when no one has a clue right. what this is she's dealing with. And they think something is wrong with her and that she's ill or sick or uh, mentally handicapped or yeah. so, so I thought that that might be really interesting for you to read. Yes. But also, yeah, I just love Maggie really O'Farrell. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. Um, there are no alternate timelines like the versions of us, but she does really intricately show the the results of people's choices of a moment and the ripple effects they have throughout, not just their own lives, but the but ones they love. Everybody around them. Yeah, yeah. everyone around yeah. them. So how does that sound? That sounds really great. That sounds really good. Okay. I like it. For book two, have you read The Scarlet Pimpernel? I think I read it in high school or maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I just think I read it because it's, you know, one of those that's out in the world. You know, it's a, a title, you know, um, I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Well, I was thinking because you love War and Peace. Yeah. You love Les Mis. This, I mean, you go along, but this is actually pretty short. It was originally a play. So this is only right around 200 pages. But 
It's a cl- it's a classic. I mean, it's undoubtedly a classic. Some yeah. some literary critics say, you know, this is honestly not great literature. But regardless, like it is definitely um, worthy of classic status. I was thinking about it for you because. Oh, yeah, I haven't read it. I just pulled it up on Goodreads. I, so it's one of those that's just in my head where I'm like, have I read that? Nope. I just know the title because it's out there. Well, I know when I was classic. in high school, the other English teacher assigned it. I don't know what I read instead, but it wasn't The Scarlet Pimpernel, <laughs> at least not when I was 14. So The Scarlet Pimpernel, the name comes from like a pretty flower that grows along the road in France. That's all. But it's like the code name for the mysterious, secretive Englishman who saves uh, French royals from the guillotine during the French Revolution. And I'm just Ooh. now realizing like, duh, like, like the, the timing is right for the some of the other books you've loved. Um, but his alter ego, his Clark Kent, not Superman, is <laughs> unhappily married to a woman that he loved at first, but then they've had a misunderstanding of sort, a really big one. And um, so their marriage is definitely on the rocks. But um, in his real life, his non-hero life, um, everybody thinks he's a bumbling idiot, but really he is doing like this great noble thing and... It's fun. It's funny. It's clever. It, I, think, I think it might be in your wheelhouse. And it's not that, I mean, it's set during the revolution. It's not like terrible things don't happen. But this well, book does not have a, revolution. Like a sad, weighty <laughs> feeling. Exactly. How does that sound yeah, to you? Yeah, that, that sounds actually, that sounds interesting. Clever, witty, double life. That, that sounds interesting. I'm just to give that one a try. And then <laughs> I was really, really thinking about a really not light memoir. And then a okay. definitely sweeping saga, also not light. <laughs> what about The Blue Castle? Have you read that by Ellen Montgomery? No, I haven't. Okay. Do you know anything about it? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about two, yeah. I think you'd really like Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory by Caitlin Doty. And I think you'd really like I Know This Much is True by Wally Lamb, a book in which all men... Oh, I've read that one. Did you like it? Yeah, that was really good. Yes, but terrible, horrible things happen for like 1,100 pages. Yes. Okay. And Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, um, a lot of readers say it's surprising how not depressing it is, like along the lines of Atul Gawande. So if you want to look those up, Check those out on Goodreads, see what you think. But The Blue Castle by Ellen Montgomery is, I mean, you've read, you loved Anne as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so you so you know kind of what you're dealing with. But this is a redemption story. And in the same vein as Stir, you have a character facing something horrible who takes a chance on something new to find her way out. Although okay. this chance is a little more drastic, perhaps. Okay, so there's this young girl named Valency who lives with her family. She's completely at their mercy. Um, she's um, put upon by everybody. She does whatever they want. Like, Valency is your doormat. But then the local doctor tells her she has a heart condition and she's going to die soon. And she's like, oh, you know, in that case, 
I'm going to try <laughs> something different. So she go, I can't remember if she immediately goes and gets herself a husband, but she befriends somebody that she never under any other circumstances would have befriended to somebody's actually. Um, and it's whimsical and light. And there's always like some major stuff happening beneath the surface in Ellen Montgomery. And yeah. there are certainly grim things in the background, but the actual plot of Valency and the, uh, the other people who come into it makes you go like, oh, that book, like it, it gives you the little women feelings. Oh, see, that's lovely. <laughs> this is a book that you could read with your daughter, I think, if she liked Anne and Emily, but well, you didn't say Emily. No, we haven't done Emily. Okay. Um, but I would read it for yourself first, like just for your own sake, because it would be enjoyable and fun. And it's 200 pages. And you could probably read this based on what your husband said in like 45 minutes. <laughs> and it'd be a nice break between the darker stuff that you say you've been reading lately. Yeah. A little bit of light. Exactly. How does that sound? That sounds really good too. Okay. They all sound really good. I'm glad to hear it. I don't think... Any of that is going to send you running for the tissues, I hope. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> okay. Dina, of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? I think I'm going to get instructions for a heat wave. It's going to be what I'm going to do next. Oh, the saddest um, one. I see how it is. Oh, oh see, <laughs> I asked for light and then I go for sad. But um, the, sad. the plot line, the, the plot line of the, you know adult who managed to make it to adulthood without being able to read like that that's that's an interesting that's an interesting plot line that's not I've, something that you find in books and um you know it definitely appeals to where i am in my life with my kids and that just sounds like a really good story well and i'd be really interested in hearing what you think, because you do know so much about the experience that Maggie O'Farrell is trying to capture on the page through her character. Uh, I'd be yeah. interested in hearing, like, does it ring true to you? That's what I would yeah. want to know. Totally. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoy it. I hope I do too. Okay. Dina, thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much, Anne. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dina today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Dina and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 118. That's 118. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, we have another great episode coming your way next week. Here's a sneak peek. And I also found uh, audiobooks. I'd always been a big snob and as I still <laughs> love the smell of books and holding a book and the feel of a book with an audiobook I can listen to it as I'm driving to and from work I can listen to it on um, as I'm making dinner I can make listen to it as I'm folding laundry I can listen to it sometimes when I'm at the park with my kids I'm not awful parent who's distracted doing something else um, and so all of those things really uh, increased the amount of reading I was able to get done and how excited I was by it. That's coming your way next Tuesday. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. To get podcast news by email, including new episodes, sign up for our free newsletter at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. 
Readers, I have to tell you about this tweet I got from my friend Sean Smucker, who was our guest on episode 84. He wrote, someone in this coffee shop kept staring at me. I thought, oh, look, probably a fan of my writing. Time out for me to say that's because Sean's extraordinarily popular book, The Day the Angels Fell, came out last fall. Okay, back to Sean. I said, hi. They looked at my computer and pointed at your What Should I Read Next sticker. That's my favorite podcast, she said. This tweet cracked me up. Readers, if you see a What Should I Read Next sticker in the wild and aren't going to greet the people in the coffee shop out too much, take a photo and share it with me on Twitter or Instagram. If you're wondering how people got these What Should I Read Next stickers, well, I always have them with me when I'm traveling. I passed out a ton on book tour this fall. So come see me in person sometime and we'll get you one. We also include them for free in all the shop orders we mail out. So get yourself to the shop at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash shop and pick yourself out some What Should I Read Next book darts or a nice journal and you'll get your stickers too. You can tag me on Twitter or Instagram at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, E is in books, O-G-E-L. Or you can find the show on Instagram at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>